Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Thursday. It's August the 3rd, and we have an interview for you today with Tiffany Justice of Moms for Liberty. We'll get into that in just one second. I want to thank all of you for joining me in the live chat. And if you are sitting in there and joining us, please scroll on down to where you see that little thumbs up. Click it until it is green. And that means you've given us the rumble, as they say on rumble, but uh, a like. And we do really appreciate that. A lot of you have already done that. So thanks so much for joining us. If you are hearing us live on any of the other platforms other than rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin, you can join us on Rumble. And you will see the live chat, which is already bumping. I see all of our people out there. I see Riv. I see FBI Panty Raid. I saw Ryan Matta join us in the chat, too. He's going to be in there. And Eric Jason, our moderator. Thanks so much for all of you guys. Uh, looks Who else is there? Gypsy. Jigsaw Massacre. Steve Reed. All right. That's as many names as I can read while I am trying to do this thing live. Folks, we're going to be doing that shortly. Let me just do a quick thank you to our sponsors. Specifically, I want to say thanks to Catholic Vote. This is how you sign up for The Loop. Very easy. Jump in there. You can put in your email address. You put in your zip code and you will be the next subscriber to The Loop to get you on their email chain. Check this out. Here's The Loop right now. So I'm looking at it. Uh, this is for Thursday, the, thir the August 3rd. It says... Uh, Mark Haupt, former guest of the Kyle Serafin Show, pro-life activist. You guys know him because he was arrested by the FBI and held at gunpoint with his family. He's going to be running for Congress. That's kind of cool. We've got bishops and issue number one in Ohio, uh, Catholic voting block options there in Ohio. That should actually be all Christians who are pro-life. Uh, the U.S. credit rating has gone from AAA down to AA+. That's not a good thing. Pro-life clinics suing Vermont for things that were happening in there and uh, institutional support that is going against them. Uh, the Dodgers are hosting a faith and a family night. So uh, I guess they're going to try to get away from the drag queen game that they were involved in. So check them out by all means. I think you guys will appreciate their emails. They've got over 500,000 subscribers. I just got a little uh, notice from uh, Josh Mercer, who runs the, the loop, saying that they have cleared the half million mark. So you can join that for the second half of the first million if you want to be a subscriber there. We do appreciate that. Uh, let's go over here and thank our friends over at Catholic, I'm sorry, <laughs> Patriot Coolers. Check this one out. I pulled up a couple of the Patriot Coolers. I just sent Ryan one of these the other day. But uh, this is their gifts for veterans and first responders. They've also got some that are patriotic and uh, are American. Use promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, or you can click the link that is down in the show description, and it'll take you straight through and automatically load our promo code K-Y-L-E. You'll get 10% uh, off, free shipping over 50 bucks. And if you want to get a gift for somebody, I'm not saying everybody's in the market for a cooler or a tumbler, but if you do happen to be looking at that and thinking, man, what am I going to buy somebody I love that's a first responder, that's a military member, that's a veteran, et cetera, check these out. They're a good looking cup. I carry one all the time. In fact, I've got one on the desk right here, so you can check mine out. There's mine sitting right next to me. And uh, folks, give them a look. They are um, one of the first people to kind of jump in and sponsor us and say that they wanted to support the Kyle Serafin Show. And we're really appreciative of that kind of thing. So support the sponsors if you can, and uh, make sure you're giving us a like, share this episode. You're about to hear from our friend, Tiffany Justice, who is really just kind of a uh, lovely and charming lady. And uh, she may even join us in the chat here at some point, I imagine. This is a taped interview we did a couple days ago. And I am sharing it here on this Thursday because it is still always relevant to hear what these voices are. Uh, moms are the best. So without any further ado, here is Tiffany Justice of Moms for Liberty. Okay, and we are back with the Kyle Serafin Show guest series. Who do we have but Tiffany Justice, who has probably the best name for public life in the uh, the arena that she's chosen to compete. It is such a strong name. Did you marry into that name, by the way? I did. It's my oh. married name. 
fantastic work, by the way, on that one then. So well done. I We're going to hear about what the uh, the previous one. Was it an upgrade? Yes. Stronger? Yes. Outstanding work. All right. So Tiffany Justice is a wife, a mother, a former member of a school board. She knows a little bit about that. She's the co-founder of Moms for Liberty. Many of you may have heard about them in the news. Apparently, they are a pro-Hitler group. If you were to listen to the mainstream leftist uh, media talking points, we're going to debunk that here today. And she is also the host of her own podcast, The Joyful Warrior Podcast. And uh, I like that you have the hashtag a war mom. What is a war mom? One day I was speaking to a friend of mine who's a lawyer. He's on our advisory board. His name is Jeff Childers. And we were looking at what was happening in Florida. The, we had rogue school boards that were fighting against the governor. And he had just come off of, of a kind of a national tour of speaking to people. And he said, Tiffany, I need to talk to you. Um, I said, okay. And he said, you need to go tell all of America that um, they need to be war moms. And I was like, Jeff, what do, you, what do you mean a war mom? He said, well, it's not, you know, like physical war, war moms. He said, but you guys are war moms now. You need to understand that. And that was very, very early um, in 2020. Um, so um, war mom means that we're in the middle of a cultural revolution in the United States of America and our children are on the front lines in schools. And so we need to fight like we are at war because we are. That's a fantastic explanation. This is Jeff uh, Childers of uh, Coffee and COVID. Is that right? Correct. Yes, Jeff Childers of Coffee and COVID. Yeah, he's fantastic. And he did a bunch of uh, fundraising for my buddies. Um, they came through with their multiplier army. As you know, they do some awesome work. And I think they bumped up our, our Gibson Go total by $150,000 or something crazy in a couple of days. Um, yeah, he's so a remarkable man. He he won the first case in the United States that said that masks were unconstitutional um, and then did some tremendous work in Florida protecting police officers and others who were uh, possibly facing vaccine mandates. So really amazing man. Yeah, brilliant. And I'm glad you have him on the board. Okay, let's start back at the beginning. Let's go back. You got married. How long have you been married and how long ago did you assume this brilliant new name? So um, I met my husband uh, over 20 years ago, but uh, we have been married. It'll be 20 years this coming year. And we have four children, 18, 15, 13, and 11, one girl and three boys. So your husband must have lived a much more virtuous life at a younger age than I did. I have the inverse of that. I have three girls. My third is about to be born in a couple of weeks and one boy. And I just keep telling my wife I'm paying for sins. One of the things I did is I actually bragged to my wife that we were going to have sons before we got married. And so we had daughters right in a row. That's that's how that works. Of course. And girls love their dads so much. It's such a wonderful, special relationship to have a nice relationship with your dad. So my, my girls are awesome. And they're uh they're they were sitting at the uh, the table this morning and they said, uh, Dad, Bodie, that's my youngest, cannot have babies like mom, because mom's very pregnant right now. She's a couple weeks out. And, uh, but we are going to, she actually, my six-year-old whispered to her sister and said, but we're going to have babies one day, which made me just crack up. I mean, there's nothing more special than them understanding at such an early age, uh, count, contrary to what they would teach them in schools, I imagine. It's true. I mean, the idea of being a mother and being pregnant, um, I think has been given such a bad rap by feminists, but the truth is, I think they wanted us to think that somehow becoming a mom took away some power that you have, but it only multiplies, uh, your passion for, uh, your, your country and the future of your country and, and certainly family. So, um, I loved being pregnant. It wasn't always easy, but I loved every minute of it. Um, and, uh, I'm excited that we ha are raising a new generation of girls that are going to be really excited about about. They're going to know exactly what a woman is, and they're going to know exactly what it is we're capable of doing.
It's it's funny that you mentioned that specifically, and I think it goes to a conversation, a broader conversation about feminism. When you were growing up, what did feminism look like? And, and by the way, where did you grow up when you were seeing these kind of things? Yeah, I grew up in Florida uh, for the most part. My family's from New York originally, but I grew up in Florida. Um, you know, what did feminism look like to me? I, I don't I don't really know. I mean, I, I think it was a time when we were being told you could do anything you wanted. Um, I never really looked at feminism or, or I was never treated in a family where it was kind of like, you know, the, the key to being a strong woman was doing everything that a man does that, you know, men and women are different. So it was really about celebrating, we you know, women and, and how unique and special we are and what, what a, what a special role we play. People ask all the time, well, why not dads for Liberty? Well, because strong men support strong women. And that is the example that was set for me in my life with my own family, with my mom and dad. So, um, you know, uh, feminism looked a lot like just, you know, using all of your God given talents and, and, to, and potential to make stuff happen for yourself. When did that definition change if you saw it in your life? Um, I think it changed more in college and, and kind of as I got older. But again, I think I've been largely unaffected by the feminist movement. It just wasn't something that was ever a big part of my life. I, I do watch with my other friends that it was almost like they had to make a choice. Um, you know, sometimes I do interviews uh, with different journalists and I'll ask them, I'll say, I actually have stopped asking. Um, you know, do you have kids? Because what I have found is a lot of women that went into the workforce, I'm 44, um, but a lot of women that went into the workforce that are around my age or a little bit older seem to have make a choice. They had to decide whether or not they were going to have a family or whether they were going to go and work and travel. And um, so, you know, I have gotten the best of both worlds. I, I got to meet my husband at a fairly young age and get married and have children. And now um, with Moms for Liberty, you know, getting involved locally, we'll talk about that in a second on my school board. You know, now I have the opportunity to work all across the country and help inspire other moms. But um, feminism is a lie that was sold to women, I think. Um, I know it was. I know when it started and how it started in American public schools. We can talk about that too. Yeah, I'd love to. It, it seems like it's uh, it's really done a, a, a disservice to women. You mentioned the the reporters. You know, they don't seem like they're as happy about the opportunity. And you see some women breaking down online on the TikTok videos and showing that kind of information. Uh, it, it looks sad from the outside. I don't have a firsthand experience of it, but you probably interact with more. I watched Chloe Cole um, with uh, a lot of Moms for Moms for Liberty at a Heritage uh, event when she was interviewed by Dr. Jay Richards. And she talked about um, not knowing whether or not she'll ever be able to carry children. She's a detransitioner. At 15, she had a double mastectomy. She talked about the fact that even if she can have children, that she may not be able to breastfeed them. I mean, she won't be able to, excuse me, breastfeed them. Um, and so I just think women and girls in general have kind of been uh, conditioned to throw away some of the things that make us the most special and wonderful human beings. Women are amazing. Um, I, I, I personally, you know, I, I watch some, I, I watch some people online. Um, I'm not sure what time this airs, but I watch sometimes some uh, men who think that they are turning themselves into women through surgery saying how much better men would like a, a, a man going through that surgery. And I just think to myself, like, you obviously know nothing about women because we are very unique uh, creatures who offer a lot, especially to men. <laughs> My wife uses the term woman face a lot in the way the throwback of kind of black face. And it, it feels insulting. Um, I, I have a, to assume. It's just a facade. It's a joke. There's nothing comparable to, to being a real woman. There just isn't. And I we love always, men, but. Yeah. You, I mean, you get into the head, you go, uh, well, I felt like a woman. So what is, how would I know what a woman feels like? <laughs> 
I don't know. Uh, yeah. The labor pains. That's, <laughs> they'll, they'll never have those. That's, I, that, that's when it. you know. Yeah. yeah. I've seen it from the outside and I was very grateful that my wife was willing to take that on. I think she was uniquely suited for it. Yeah. Uh, I've dealt with physical pains in different ways. There's things that I can't, you know, do that she does. And exactly. Uh, we, we used to know that the sexes were complimentary, um, but even that is controversial. We're apparently. bringing it back though. That's why moms, you know, that's what I think you're seeing, Kyle, is the resurgence of really the celebration of what it means to be a man and a woman. Apparently some people forgot. So we're reminding them. Brilliant. All right. Let's start uh, kind of early career. If you, what, what formed you into the person that was going to go out and found this organization that ended up being national? Being a mom. That really was it, being a mom, becoming a mom. Um, so again, I told you I have four kids. And so just naturally when I, um, when my kids went to school, I started volunteering in school for them uh, and would go into the classroom. And oftentimes it wasn't my child that I was working with in the classroom. It was maybe another friend that they had in the classroom. Um, and so uh, I would begin to notice things at their school. Uh, for example, the the roof, uh, the, the, we live in Florida. There's a lot of outdoor hallways and things. The halls mm -hmm. would flood. There were a lot of leaks and a lot of the overpasses, like the, you know, the, the covers of, of the hallways. And so um, kids would come to school with wet shoes from the day before. And so I went to the principal and I said, uh, can you explain to me what's happening here? Why aren't they fixing? Why isn't the district fixing this school? And I still remember the principal said to me, she was like, oh, yeah, they don't really like when we ask too many questions, you know, when we make waves, it just, you know, in my whole life, people have said like, don't make waves, Tiffany, just don't start. Right. And so I was I feel like, like oh. you took that direction very well. And you <laughs> took that to heart. I said, yeah. So I said to the principal, I was like, well, I don't care if the district doesn't like me. I mean, I'm going to go ask them why they aren't fixing this school. And so I did. I went and I found out that we had been on the capital outlay plan for um, over 10 years and kept getting bumped off. It's a five-year plan and we would just keep getting bumped off the back end because this school was on the island in Florida and was seen as, um, I guess, like a privileged school. But we had 58% of kids that had free and reduced lunch, that qualified for free and reduced lunch, that had that poverty, that met that threshold. And so you had a lot of kids coming to school with wet shoes. And my kids were lucky enough, they had two pairs of sneakers and we would change them out when they would get wet. Um, it's hard when you're five years old to concentrate on learning how to read if your shoes are wet and smelly, right? And it's embarrassing. So uh, I got the school fixed because I brought a bunch of moms together and I said, let's go talk to the district. And uh, sure enough, they renovated the whole school. They tried to shut it down first, uh, but obviously we didn't let that happen. Um, and then they renovated the school and then someone said, you should run for school board. And I had never been political. In fact, I had no party affiliation. Um, I, my family had, we had always voted, but we weren't like a political family. Um, and I was like, oh, no way. Like, I'm not going to run for office. I had never in a million years thought of that. Um, but then I was convinced and I did it. And Tina Deskovich, who's the co-founder of Moms for Liberty, has a similar story um, of you know, just getting involved with school because of her kids. And then she was very concerned about standardized testing and um, Common Core. And so, um, you know, what we learned is we're not special or unique in any way. There are millions of moms just like me and Tina. Uh, we meet them <laughs> uh, all the time and they can make change happen in their own local community and at the national level. So that's why Moms for Liberty. We just want moms to be effective advocates. You said something that uh, kind of caught my ear a little bit. You said, we didn't let that happen. What does that look like? 
We just, I brought school board members out to tour the school and uh, one gentleman who I like to refer to now as Foghorn Leghorn, that's exactly the character he reminds me of, said in this- I'll say, I'll say, I'll say, I'll say, we're not gonna- That's right, boy. He said, well, what should shut down the school? How much would it cost to just build? And I looked at him and I said, that's not happening. You're not shutting down this school. Like this is an important school. The island needs to be connected to the public school system. It's the only public school that we have on the island. And um, I'm not going to let you shut down this school. And so, you know, I got 10 moms together and we started passing out flyers and letting people know they needed to come to the school board to speak and let them know they needed to fix the school. And sure enough, within a year, we had a commitment uh, to renovate the entire school. And the truth is, Kyle, when the county came out to take a look at the school to see what the conditions were, they condemned the cafeteria. They literally, in the middle of that school year, closed the cafeteria down had to bring in a trailer for the children to eat and had to make the food at a different school and bus it over every day. But as the conditions in the cafeteria, we had so many rats, it was so gross and unsafe that they had to condemn the school. But it, it just took parents getting involved and making enough noise to make something happen. Now I learned through the process of advocating for the school that the reason that the principal did not want me to make waves was because her numbers were crap. Her student achievement was awful. She had less than 30% of African-American students reading on grade level in third grade in her school, and yet we were getting an A rating every year. And so as I dug, I went back to her and I said, you know, how do you take an A rating for this school when you have an entire subgroup of children that are failing? You're, you're hiding the failure with all these other kids, but you're not meeting the needs of these children. And so then me asking about the infrastructure of the school became me asking about the priorities of the, the district and whether or not we were truly serving children well. And, and the issues that that school faced when, and you know, this is kind of technical, but they weren't considered to be a title one school that was getting additional funding for those students of need because they hadn't met what the threshold was, the federal threshold or the state threshold, excuse me, to receive extra money for those kids in need. That meant that at that school where my kids went, 58% of the kids weren't getting the services that they would have gotten if they had been at a Title I school where they had over 75% of the kids who were free and reduced lunch, if that makes sense to you. So just a lot of, you know, in a system where they talk about equity, 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 not a lot of equality or equity happening. It's uh, it's always amazing that there's these metrics and these numbers that drive poor performance. Who set those numbers, if you know? Um, the, the poverty threshold numbers in the state, the state sets that threshold and it changes. But the problem is, is that you don't get more money. If you have more schools that become Title I schools that the reporting is, come, first of all, a couple of things. The reporting is not accurate. Uh, they have many schools across the United States of America where they're just saying it's 100% free and reduced lunch. Um, and, and, and they're not actually reporting on whether or not the, the parents are meeting that threshold. But it, when you're talking about in Florida, for example, the state setting the threshold for what they believe a school meets Title I in, that, that should get those Title I funds. Um, and and you, it's not a bigger pie. So when you have a district and you say, okay, well, we have another school now that is, is meeting the threshold of percentage of students that are coming from poverty, they don't give you more money. You just have to cut the pieces of the pie into 
smaller pieces and give them out. So it's a very complicated federal funding for, for students of need, whether it's IDEA, which is individual, you know, students who have exceptional needs, or whether it's students who are coming from poverty is not being done in a way where the money follows the child. And it should be. Agreed. Uh, that makes perfect sense, though, that they're not going to make a bigger pie just because there's this going on. So let me ask you this. Did you start off feeling very confident about getting involved in this or did you ever have any misgivings about jumping into the the sort of vocal arena that you're in? Are you talking about when I ran for school board or mom's? Or even before that, because just, I mean, the the preface to this apparently is you walked in and saw kids with wet shoes. Mm -hmm. A lot of people would say that's really a shame. And then that would be the end of that. (laughs) You decided to get involved in a fight that didn't have to do with your kids' shoes, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so that tells me there is that a is that a personality type? Is that something or is there was there something that you were fed up with this or you just don't like stinky shoes or what? Well, I mean, there's something that had to push you into the action here. Yeah, it was just frustrating. I, I, I started going to school board meetings while I was advocating for the school and I was just watching the disconnect. The unions had an undue influence in our children's education. It was like, why do certain kids at a school eat lunch at 1030? Oh, it's the bargaining contract. Like, really, the unions having kids eat at 10 o'clock in the morning? Like, I when you have little kids, you know, they eat breakfast and then they eat lunch at 10 o'clock. By two o'clock, they're hungry and they're tired. And right, are they getting food? No, they weren't. And And the union was making that decision in my district. So, I just was looking and saying, hmm, doesn't seem like parents really have as much of a voice in their kids' education as they should. Who are these school board members? Why are they so beholden to the unions? So I just decided, you know, that I would run for school board. And and somebody told me, um, you know, you need to raise $40,000. Uh, so my husband was my finance guy and every week he would set a goal for me. And on Thursday he would call me and be like, you need to go raise some money, Tiffany. And, uh, he would, like $40,000. It just was money. the number. It was just the, it was just the number that we thought we needed in order to be able to spend what we needed to spend to get me on school board. I had never run for office before. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got a great name though. So that, that right. helps. It does. It People does. People saw that and they were like, this is like a stage name for her, her school board run. But there was a guy who was running who was um, very young, but the Republican Party was um, uh, supporting him. Um, I was told he was in the pocket of someone who wanted something happening on the school board. So uh, the Republican Party didn't like me and um, the Democrats didn't like me because um, I wasn't willing to like, you know, write a blank check to the union. Um and I refused to go to any of their events unless they would invite the guy who was being endorsed by the Republicans because I wanted an honest conversation. And um, so I had I didn't get support from anyone from like political parties, but I won actually with 60 percent of the vote. So, hmm. um, yeah, How about that. Right. <laughs> so wait, the Republicans didn't like you. The Democrats didn't like you. And 60 percent of the voters liked you. That sounds like a microcosm for America right now. Yes. That's why Moms for Liberty, really. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think that one of the things that people have said that I I think is oftentimes not true, but they don't realize it, that, you know, they think we're like GOP puppet, like, you know, we have some puppet. You're funded by dark money, I'm sure. We we have no, I mean, some of the biggest opposition that we've actually faced, even for our chapters across the country, has been like Republican executive committees or the Republican Party, because a lot of times they have this idea of what, like, what the establishment is going like it's you know that the establishment like oh Susie's going to run for school board and then Susie's brother's husband's going to run and then in 10 years Susie's son is going like you know and we came in and we were like we're not asking for permission 
Um, we're not going to wait in line. Uh, there isn't some hoop we have to jump through in order to be considered to be qualified. We're just going to, you know, run for office and win some seats. So that makes people angry sometimes. So we brought it up and, uh, and let's, let's do it critically. W what is the source of most of the funding that comes in? How do you raise money and, and, you know, what kind of, what are your biggest donors and what are your smallest donors look like? Yeah. So we started with small donors. Uh, we started with $500 in Tina's back bedroom. We made some t-shirts and um, we sold over $150,000 worth of merchandise in our first year. Um, and we had um, a donor come in that was a large, like, I mean, comparatively a larger donor for us at the time, because we were selling t-shirts that helped us that first year. Um, and then, yeah, we've attracted bigger donors as uh, we've grown, but I still don't think that our budget is where a lot of people think it is. We just punch really high. We, we punch above our weight class because that's what moms do. You just, if you see a problem and you're a mom, if you see harm happening to your child or another person's child, you're just going to find a way to stop it. You're not going to wait for permission, as I said, or make excuses um, as to why something isn't changing. You're just going to find a way to change it. Um, so we have larger donors that have come in that have been supporting us. Um, but as uh, Tina knows, I say, and we'll probably die, then I'm going to say it on this show, but I will because I really like you, Kyle. Um, we don't have a pimp. No one tells us why does she hate that? I'm sorry. Why does she hate that? Because it's just so crass to say, you know, it, it sounds so harsh, but we don't have a pimp. No one comes in from top down moms for liberty and says, you have to spend money on this. You need to focus on this because we're not a top down organization. We're set up by chapters all over the country. And what we're really trying to do is establish decentralized leadership. It needs to be about the leader in your own community, the mom that I was that ran for school board and, and Tina, right? And so many other moms who are standing up as chapter chairs saying like, we're not going to wait for permission to have our voices heard in our children's lives. Like it's a very fleeting time in a child's life. And I think what mom saw during COVID was it's very different to turn 12 to 13 than it is to go from 32 to 33. Moms know that. Yes. There were kids who like, they missed kindergarten and first grade. They didn't go back and go to kindergarten. They just moved them right along. Like, right. that's crazy. Because it's based on age. It's not based on performance or anything else, apparently. I mean, you know, crazy that those kids didn't get the foundational knowledge they needed to be successful. And then everyone's like, oh, why are test scores falling? Hmm. I wonder why. So many mysteries that we have. Um, why is there cocaine in the White House? And uh, who leaked the DOP decision? So many unsolvable <laughs> mysteries. Let me... Um, let me dig one more question on this. And I don't need to know the names of the donors because it doesn't matter to me and I won't know who they are anyway. But give me an idea of what a big donation looks like for your organization at this point. And, and I just want to have a concept of it. I, like I said, it doesn't mean anything one way or another. To yeah. Me. I mean, you mentioned Jeff Childress. So he did a co campaign for us um, through Coffee and COVID. And we had like 5,500 uh, original donors from him and over $130,000. Um, we have don don donations that will come in um, that are... $5,000, $10,000 sometimes um, just randomly. Yep. Um, we have some people that give to us fairly regularly. Um, and then we have some donors that are working with us now that are interested in investing in a much larger way um, where I'm talking about, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, so, you know, we are, and rightly so, attracting attention because nobody's going to fight for anything like a mom is going to fight for their kid. And James Lindsay spoke at our summit and he said, moms will stop a revolution. 
Um, we will. I believe that in my heart. I've gone back in history. James and I, you know, I asked him about Hungary, like 1919. You look back and, and there was, you know, communist revolution going on in, in Hungary. It was stopped in part. They came after the kids. They really sexualized the kids and the parents in Hungary stood up at that point. There isn't a lot of written history about it um, as much as we would like. But, you know, it's just kind of been this question of like, how are you going to stop this cultural revolution that's happening in America, this Marxism that we're seeing. And the truth is they're not having their own children. So they have to have our children and we stand in the way between them getting our kids. And we're the last generation. I think I'm 44. How old are you? 42. I'll be okay, 42 so, at the end of this year. So yeah, we're, we're, we're close. We had a similar childhood, I imagine. Yeah. I mean, we grew up in the nineties, you know, and, and so I think a lot of us are looking now and saying like, we know it doesn't have to be like this. We grew up in the nineties. When I was growing up, you could date whoever you wanted. Like, yeah, I don't remember date... that ever being a question. No, I, I, I have friends who married people of different religions, friends who married people of different races that had children together. And now we look at America where we have a lot of biracial children and that was, I went on Dr. Phil um, twice now. I can't even, twice I've done it. Once on He used CRT. to coach my brother's basketball team. Dr. Phil? Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. He's very tall. Is, he was a basketball player, I guess. I don't know. He was teaching sixth graders or something like that. So it wasn't like a high level basketball team. He was, he wasn't Dr. Phil the way that you know him now. He was coach Phil. <laughs> but I mean, he's been having some of the most important conversations in America yeah, as far as I'm concerned. And um. We were allowed to, you're allowed to ask him one question when you okay. go there. Like, if you have one question for Dr. Phil, what would that be? And my question was, what does it say to all of the children um, that are coming from our generation of families that are of, of different religions and different races, mixed races, to say to them that half of them is good and half of them is bad? Like, we never talk about biracial kids and what CRT actually does to them in the classroom. Um and, I never um, thought about that. Yeah, it's very, it's, it's, you know, so I, I just think we're the last generation that kind of, they keep trying to divide our kids and we grew up really not being that divided. It was, you know, you think about MTV, we were all experiencing like different music from different cultures and that was very exciting and fun. And, you know, you think about how diverse your interests in music were as a kid, right? Well, tell me, tell me maybe some of your top five-ish, I don't know, it doesn't matter the number, <laughs> but your top five-ish shows that you remember watching when you were a kid, middle school, high oh, school yeah. age. Just tell me what they were. And then and then I want you, we'll evaluate the cast. And then you tell me how racist we were in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, um, I watched Family Matters. That's racist, that okay, was, yep. All, yeah, all white people, right? obviously. Well, I mean, we. I, I'm just trying to think of the shows <laughs> we watched, we were allowed to watch, Full House. Okay. Um, so you got a black family and a white family. The white yeah, family was I mean, a little that's bit what awkward we watched. We did the Friday night family shows. You know, yep. remember when they used to have the shows on? That's what my parents would let us watch. Um, did you watch Sister Sister? Yes, I watched Sister Sister. Moesha? Yeah, Mo yeah Moesha. Uh, 100%. Um, Fresh Prince hanging with oh, Mr. Cooper. Yeah. Yep. It's so yeah, strange. we really, we, it was, I mean, I just feel like the 90s were a great time to grow up. But like I look at our friends and, and people that I meet in this space of the work that we do. And we all kind of have that similar experience where we're like, why are they trying to divide our kids so much? Like we got past that. I thought we, I thought we were, we were going so much farther as a country together as people. I mean, for two people to fall in love with each other and to create another life, that's the most special thing that you can do. 
And we do that in America all the time. I'm sorry. I said, how dare you? (laughs) I I don't know. But that's why I just think it's it's baloney. That's why it's a 73rd issue. It's how people stayed together. It's what they, it's the whole reason why anything worked. I think for like thousands of years in this country, uh, you, you talked about stopping the revolution and there is a revolution. It's pushing against the thing that we grew up in. So what's the revolution look like and how are you stopping it? The revolution looks like our kids being told that America is a systemically broken country, um, and racist country and that religion is a joke and that home is not safe. Um, kind of the tearing down of the 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 old guard, right? As, as I think you'd see, or the 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 four, um, you know, it, as we saw in Mao's China, right? Um, the building of the red guard and the tearing down of the olds, the four olds, and I think that's what we're seeing in America. And the public schools are being used to do it. Um, the unions control the schools. The teachers' unions do. Well, um, why would they have an interest in this? Why would the teachers' unions benefit? Out of curiosity. They make a lot of money from the schools. Just the oldest um, thing in the world, just greed. Just greed, just basic money. corruption. Yep, um, five hundred and seventy-five million dollars in dues that I think the AFT got last year. Ninety-nine um, percent of the political donations given by unions go to Democrats. Um, I just keep waiting. Like I watched Robert Kennedy last night on Hannity. Hannity. I don't know if you got to see that. Did you guys? I did see not. Him? No. So I watched it, and it was mm-hmm. really interesting because. You know, he represents a Democrat party that I think a lot of people in America are saying, like, where is that party? Um, Because the Democrat party we're dealing with right now, and again, as I said, I've been NPA most of my life, so I'm not like a raw, raw, go team Republican. It's just not my nature. I'm an issue-based person, right? That's how I've always voted. Um, But what he just said was, you know, the decisions coming out of the White House are horrible. I I keep waiting for Democrat legislators and parents to wake up and say, like, parental rights are not partisan issues. These are not, this is not a Republican thing. And I don't understand why Democrat elected officials are allowing it to be. Do you? It doesn't make any sense to me. It Well, it doesn't. This is, this is my kind of perspective on it. I don't know what your reflection will be. I used to uh, think that people in the 90s that were in politics, and I was minimally aware of them, sort of disagreed on the policy on how to get to the same, to get to what they thought was the best outcome, but they all agreed on sort of what the values were. And now we don't have the same values. And maybe that's the disconnect. I think that's the same thing that's happened in schools too. Robert Pondicio, who's a fellow at AEI, wrote something on Twitter the other day. And he, he was like, you know, is it that values were never taught in school or that we took values out? Or is it that there were values that were taught in school, but they were all values that we had all commonly kind of agreed to? Right. And I think you find that's where we are in America in general. Like you think about the books, you know, in America, we have always had this idea of like, what is age appropriate? We know that certain things are not age appropriate, like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, R rated movies, right? We have movie ratings. You don't see anyone petitioning movie ratings. (laughs) How dare they they keep 13 year olds out of sexual content or swearing or something? Right. I mean, even in school, they can't just show your kid a PG or PG 13 movie. They they can't just do that. Right. Uh, Tipper Gore, she fought for explicit content warning labels on music. Um, If you think about even children in schools right now, they don't have unfettered access to the internet. Like a very interesting FOIA that you can do if you're watching this as a parent is just ask your school district, what internet sites do you filter uh, from children having access to in your district, regardless of age? 
Um, and then I just want parents to compare that and, and, the, and, and the reasons for why they might filter those things to like the concerns they have about books, for example. Um, and, and then also you can layer that and say, um, you know, do the teachers have the ability and the discretion to choose what they give access to the children to on the internet in their classroom? And the district is going to tell you no. The teachers do not have discretion. The district controls that. Is that because the district doesn't trust the teachers? Right. You know, like we've been told like classroom libraries, oh, you, you know, shame on you parents for not trusting the classroom library. Well, the district doesn't trust uh, the Internet access being controlled in the classroom either. So, you know, there are different controls and different things we as a society have always agreed on for children. And it seems like a lot of those things have kind of gone out the window right now. And that's why I think you see us in such a polarized place, because we can't find agreement or we're not being allowed to find agreement um, on a, a lot of the things that I actually think we just finished national polling are 70, 30 issues in America right now. So the vast majority and an overwhelming majority are in favor of the positions you're holding. So some of the stuff that has been quote unquote controversial that you guys got involved in, and we can kind of dig into this. I think uh, you just touched on censorship might be one of those things that you're, you're accused of. What is the argument saying that you're in favor of censorship and then Maybe present me both sides of what what they're saying and what what maybe if it's not reality. So I think there has been this effort to label us as book banners. Um, I immediately, when I saw President Biden's campaign video released when he talked about book banning, realized that it was a wedge issue. It's just an issue that they've decided they're going to make extremely political. Um, when I went and testified before the House uh, Judiciary um, Committee, the Constitution Limited Government Subcommittee. Um, I spoke about the fact that the FBI had contacted one of our moms after she spoke at a school board meeting. Um, and the Democrats put up someone from PEN America, which is an organization that is led by Obama uh, era admin, um, that um, they wanted to make the whole issue uh, and the whole hearing about uh, books. And, 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 you know, my question to her was, where were you when our, when our speech was being limited at the school board, Mike? Um, so I think it's just become a political issue. It's, it's been made a political issue. Um, and uh, the truth is there's some really explicit graphic content in our kids' libraries that most people, um, you know, I challenged President Biden the other day. I was like, why don't you read it to your grandchildren? I, I asked President Obama when he put out that letter, um, you know, about, you know, the books that have influenced his life. I, I put up uh, All the Boys Aren't Blue by a gentleman named George Johnson. And I said, uh, you know, President Obama, um, which part of this shaped your life? Was it the anal rape or was it the incest? Um, would you read it to your daughters before bedtime? Um, it's a disingenuous conversation that we're having because they want to paint us as some type of book banner. And what we are asking is why are taxpayer dollars being used to um, buy and give explicit content to uh, minors in our public schools? Where's the line for, for books that we don't want in there for you? I just put it, I, I said on CBS Sunday morning, just really, really low. I'm willing to start at uh, no graphic uh, rape scenes, sex, anal sex, um, no instructions about how to go on like Tinder to find um, people to have sex with perhaps, um, maybe no instructions about blowjobs. Like I'm willing to really make the bar low. I, I don't know what time this airs, but I have said the most explicit things on camera. I try to show the pictures. I have the books right here. You can't show the pictures. You can't. I've tried on Chris Cuomo's show. I've tried on CBS Sunday Morning. 
I have told uh, Joy Reid I would go on, but I'll bring, but I want to bring the books and I want to show the books, but they can't let you show the books because they'll get an FCC violation. Um, but apparently it's okay for a public school. It, it just, it, it's just a disingenuous conversation. It's a lie. How about uh, Huck Finn? Yeah, I don't have a problem with Huckleberry Finn. I don't know. I, How about uh, To Kill a Mockingbird? Yeah, I don't, I don't, we don't have a problem with that either. And we're not trying to, to rewrite Roald Dahl or I'm just Dr. asking numbers, that uh, things that I remember reading, right? Mice yeah, and Men. No. There's some murder in there. There's an accidental murder, right? That's I think, violence. What was, what was it? I'm sorry. Of Mice and Men. Oh, Sound right. Back? Yes. I think there's also um, a, a very common sense conversation about age and age appropriateness here. Mm -hmm. um, the American Holocaust Museum um, has um, age ranges as far as what they think, how, what ages they think that um, children should go come and see their exhibit. And there was a Florida legislator that uh, spoke very eloquently about it. And he said um, that there's an, an exhibit, I believe, that um, is for sixth grade and up. Um, and then there is a specific exhibit for fourth and fifth graders. And then below that age, a fourth grade, which let's think about that for a second. How old? Six, seven, seven, eight. You're talking about eight, nine years old. Mm -hmm. Below that age, you know, there are just some things that maybe kids don't need to see and know about and hear. Um, and that's just the truth. You know, you have a six-year-old. I do. You know, she speaks in paragraphs, but I know she doesn't know all the things that she says even. Right. Those, are, mean, those are constructions that she's mirroring. You, you, she believes in Santa, probably. Sure, uh, it's and, very, and, and and they they think that they understand the words that they're saying, but they're really kind of trying them on. And we think they understand them because they sound like words that people say, but they're <laughs> not full people. They're still no, booting until, up. <laughs> until you have kids, and then you actually talk to children on a regular basis. I think it's probably easy to, you know, for like a Randy Weingarten, for example, to think of children as just like miniature adults. But they're they look not. kind of like miniature adults until you start <laughs> listening to what they have to say. That's correct. Right? Yes. Yes. Like the, my my six year old who speaks in paragraphs at a level way beyond above her her age that you would expect. She's very precocious and she's yeah. very intelligent. And she gathered a bunch of grass and put it on the concrete and started putting snails on it for a habitat, which is an interesting idea. I just don't think the snails will stay there, and I don't think that they have anything to do with the grass. But you know, that's how you learn that. You put snails on grass and find that they're not there in the morning. And where did they go? Did a bird eat them? I don't know. Uh, so we have all these interesting conversations that no adult would ever have because she's not an adult. She's a six-year-old. She's learning about the world using an advanced set of tools, like uh, words. Uh, and she says very aggressive. Uh, we, we don't filter any of our vocabulary. So my my daughter speaks like a like a 20-year-old, even though she has the perception of a six-year-old because she's right. six. Right. It's very funny. Well, and, well, and, and that's the thing, you know, I, I, I think when you're talking about public school libraries, and we'll just be very specific about mm -hmm. public school libraries, there is a finite amount of space and there is a finite amount of money. Mm -hmm. And so you're making decisions about what belongs in that library, right? And our goal should be for children to want to read, but I want them to learn to read and learn to read well. We're not having the conversation about the fact that the kids aren't learning how to read, right? So isn't it so important for us to talk about what books are being put in that library so that they're an extension of the learning in the classroom and that we're meeting the needs of the child? But we're not talking about the fact that two-thirds of children are not reading at or above grade level in America. Two-thirds. Are, 
are there Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew books available in these libraries? Because that's I, what I feel like I consumed the most of when I was young and learning how to read. That's what got me reading. I think there are. I think you have a, a wide variance. I think what the library issue, it's so much bigger than the books. Here's what it exposed, Kyle. Mm-hmm. It exposed the fact that there is a lot of money that is spent in public schools without a lot of oversight. And there are people that control how that is money is being spent that aren't even working in the schools, like publishers, for example, or curriculum people, right? I mean, you have people making decisions in the school, like the school board, you know, okay, we're going to spend, you know, $10,000 on X, Y, Z, right? But as far as what's coming into the library, there were bundles of books coming in. Well, how do they choose what books you're going to buy in a library. Well, you're going to buy the very best books, right? Well, how do you determine what the very best books are? You look and see what books have gotten awards. Hmm. Great. Who's giving the awards? Well, the American Library Association. And that sounds fine until you know that the woman that was just voted and elected to be the head of the Library Association is a self-proclaimed Marxist. She's a lesbian, which I could care less about. I don't care who she has sex with. I don't think that has a bearing on her job and her ability to do her job. Unless she does. Yeah, apparently it's, you're right. It's informing her work. You know, my sexual orientation does not inform my work, but, but it does for her, perhaps. The Marxist thing though, like that's kind of a problem for us, right? And so if you're buying the very best books that get, the awards and you look at who's giving the awards and then you see for the past 10 years, the only books that have been given awards are books that are very focused on woke ideology and Marxist ideology. Well, now you know why we have all these books in the libraries and there was no vetting process or oversight. We, you know, that's what moms really wanted. It wasn't that we were looking to have a time. I mean, there were some books they wanted removed, but they were also saying, how are you, how was this librarian making the decisions about what books should be there? And so we went through a process in Florida. Um, There was a bill called HB 1467 uh, that we supported, our chapters in Florida supported through our legislative committee here. And we can talk about the structure of our organization. The chapters come together in, in legislative committees. So they supported that bill. And then two of those moms served on the work group committee for 1467 that actually put into process procedures um, and, and put, it put into place, excuse me, procedures and processes that districts would have to follow so that there was some accountability measure for librarians or ma- media specialists about how they select content and how that content is uh, approved. How did you get involved in, in looking into librarians and the library associations? Like w- what led you to that uh, that thread? Our moms, it, it wasn't top down. Tina and I weren't like, Hmm, let's take on the libraries. Like if I had known that. <laughs> I like that I better known, though. <laughs> if I had, yeah, but I mean, it, the beauty of what we do really is it springs from the moms. It, it's, it's what they're concerned about in their own communities. Not every library has a lot of these books. I would tell you more libraries do than we would like. Um, but it's not the case that every library has a copy of gender queer. So, you know, the last thing we want is a mom going down to their school board and demanding that gender queer is removed. And then the school board, the school district saying like, you didn't do your homework and it's not here. That is not being effective that you, you, you don't want to be a joke. Right. And so what we've really put on the moms is you have to do your research and you need to address what's happening in your district. So I think some of our moms, 
um, saw online, there was this Mary in the library. I think it was an older woman actually who started it, uh, probably a retired librarian who was fed up. And, um, so they started seeing these different books that were in some of the libraries and then they just started going online. You can just go into your, it's called this, this library catalog in your district and say, Hmm, I wonder if all the boys aren't blue or in any schools in my district. And lo and behold, in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, in Oak Park Elementary School, there was a copy of All the Boys Aren't Blue, which, as I stated earlier, a, a young man tells the story of being anally raped by a, a family member while he was a child. I mean, you know, why is that in an elementary school library? There's gender queer. That's lovely. Yeah. That's another Thanks, that's this is the value that Ryan is able to uh, to shock people with a little bit. That's good. Uh, I think that one has gotten a lot of attention, but it, it, I mean, it's right front and center if you walk into a Target these days. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's why, on like banned book displays in libraries in schools. Well, um, what is the age of these librarians that are activists? Is there if there is such a thing uh, like a banded age? That's interesting. Um, I don't really know the answer to that, to be honest with you. I was the woman that they had on CBS Sunday Morning when. Um, we did that special, um, was a, a woman who seemed to be in her probably early thirties and she was wearing a t-shirt and her t-shirt said, educating is activism. And I put up a tweet about it. I took a picture and I was like, this is what they think. They, they really have been trained that educating is activism. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if any of your listeners know Paulo Ferreri or anything about, um, Ferreri and, 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 the politics of education and the pedagogy of the oppressed, two books that are used um, in a lot of, uh, I think the top two books in the social sciences uh, studies in America. Um, but he was a Brazilian Marxist theologian who believed that the schools were, the purpose was to awaken a critical consciousness in the child, in the person that was being an educate, educated. And um, that's what's happening in American schools right now. Um, I've lost track of the question you asked me because now I'm talking about Ferrari. That was, that was a good answer. Anyhow, you were talking about the uh, educationist activism t-shirt, the, the oh, types yeah, of yeah, librarians. Yeah. They, so, they so they're, they're activists. Liberators. Yeah, they think they're liberators. They really feel like, you know, as Marx, you know, they're trapped in this world that's been created for them and they need to tear down the world around them to create the utopia that I guess is communism. Although I continue to try to remind everyone that communism has taken the lives of over 100 million people in the past 100 years in uh, across the globe. And um, communism is really bad. But when we were in uh, Philly, we had the Young Communists League, out, like they made flyers. I could show you a flyer. You know, the communists were protesting us. The revolutionary communists were protesting us. Like communism is alive and well in America. And there are a lot of young people that are being sucked into this idea that, that somehow it's going to bring uh, a better America forward, which, you know, if I could sit them down for a few hours, I'd like to show them what communism has done in other Maybe places. on their iPhones. Well, they so, you, so the young, the young uh, communists were protesting you in Philly. This was that kind of violent we saw. They were screaming at moms. I don't know if I saw you specifically walking out, but it looked like they were getting in some moms' faces. They were just regular ladies walking out of a convention center with these kind of unhinged protesters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the first night. We had okay. a, an event at the Museum of the American Revolution. Okay. Um, it was vandalized the night before. Um, people spray-painted uh, a mural of Washington crossing the Delaware and broke windows. And that was very sad. We felt very bad for, because the museum was lovely to us and did not cancel us as the protesters wanted. 
Um, there were hundreds of people protesting us that night, screaming um, awful things. Um, I have a 19-minute video that a, a person in Philadelphia um, recorded um, that shows some of the behind the scenes. And yeah, we had to bus people to the museum from the hotel because it was unsafe for them to try to get there on their own. Mm -hmm. And as we were walking in, they were just screaming at us, just screaming at a bunch of moms. I mean, it was pretty crazy, Kyle. Do they know that moms are basically professionals at tuning out obnoxious screaming? Do you think? <laughs> I don't know if they do or not. Our moms were waving as they walked in. They had their phones on. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not going to lie. We had moms who brought kids and stuff. They had their hands over their kids' ears, some of them. You know, um, sure. I had my daughter with me. She's 18. Um, she was, it was really disconcerting. You know, it, it's a lot of hate that's being pushed at us. There you go. There's the Marriott there. They wanted to cancel us. The Marriott was amazing. Um, the staff was amazing. We thanked them during the summit. And then when we finished at the event and when the, the last day, Sunday, the breakfast was over and we walked out of the, the, the banquet hall, all of the staff was lined up clapping for us. So, um, note to anyone looking to travel Marriott rocks. They treated us beautifully, even though I know that it brought a lot of um, extra baggage for them as an organization. Um, but if you are choosing a hotel, choose Marriott. I'm a big, big fan. I use Marriott all the time. I did not know they're that great. they were so good to you guys. Yeah, they're awesome. Interesting. I'm a, a platinum elite member or something, whatever metal they have that is higher than gold <laughs> or diamond or whatever it is. That would have been you really know? easy. That's what they yeah. wanted. They wanted to get us canceled. I mean, that was it, right? The SPLC sent out, so they put us on the extremist list. Let's talk and about then, that for a second. SPLC, yeah. um, when did they first take rec uh, note of you guys? I would imagine the first day that we created ourselves because we have been trying to get attention since then. <laughs> God, what sort of what sort of hate watch did they consider you? Um, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, I think they've tried to be like fancy with the intricacy of the designation. Um, so, uh, but they have a hate map. We're on it right next to the KKK. Uh, oh, and the United Skinhead Nation. Yep, that's right. I, I'm. Don't I look like the face of hate in America Clearly. today? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm feeling that. Thank you. And um, they said we're anti-government and we're an extremist organization. And so, you know, I'm really, we're going to really take um, a lot of, of uh, issue with the anti-government piece um, because we endorsed in over 500 school board races in 2022 uh, and won uh, two over, we won 275 of those. Um, and we, out of all of the endorsed candidates, 76% were first time candidates that had never run for anything, just like when I had ran for, run for school board. So I don't think we're anti-government. I think we are showing that it is we, the people are the government and we're taking the government back from the fourth branch, the administrative state as Vivek talks of often. Um, so uh, I, I guess it's just that they don't like they don't like the way we engage with government and that gives them the right to call us anti-government. But, um, it's, it's, you know, having a, a huge effect. People are trying to use the designation in a lot of ways to hurt us. So I feel like they've been roundly discredited by anybody that matters, but, uh, but they still go out there and do their thing. So good for them. God bless them, I guess, uh, bless their hearts as we say in the South. Right. So, um, there are three levels of government though. There's the local government closest to you. There's the state government, and then there's the federal government. Are you 
anti any level of government? Is there any particular gradation to what you guys are talking about when they put that designation? I think it's just really important that we understand what role the federal government should play in our everyday lives. And we're very concerned that they're playing too much of a role in our everyday lives. You know, we saw that during COVID. So COVID happens. I think every American mom and dad are like, wait a second, there are a lot of really bad policies that are hurting our kids. Who's making these policies? Because they need to change, right? I think that's what a lot of American parents were like, well, this isn't going to work. We need to change this. Mm -hmm. And then, so then they had to search and they had to figure out where does the authority lie for this decision-making? And a lot of it lies with your local school board, Tina. And I knew that when we, you know, when we served, there's a lot of things that happen in your children's lives and in your community that your school board um, controls. So um, that's why we only endorse and engage at that most local level of school board. Um, but our legislative committees come together now um, across the state and they focus on issues. So you'll have a representative from every chapter in the state that serves on the legislative committee. They review all of the legislation that's being um, sponsored. Uh, they bring legislation and policies forward that they would like to see sponsored. And then they work to either help to get things passed or to um, work against things and to have their voice heard at that level of government. And they've been very effective at doing that. Yeah, that sounds like participation in government, not anti-government. Correct. Correct. And so I'm going to, you know, we're pursuing legal action against the SPLC, um, and uh, we take it very seriously. Fair enough. Uh, I think COVID changed the games a lot for for parents. When was Moms for Liberty founded? When did you guys start doing this game? Um, January of 2021. So mm. our, our school board term was uh, 2016 to 2020. Um, Tina, Tina and I both, but we weren't friends. We didn't know each other. Um, I always think it's interesting. People think we were like friends before we, we just both were in neighboring counties and we were on the downside of almost every vote. We were fighting for parental rights. We were seeing so many issues happening where the government was encroaching on the private rights of citizens. And, um, you know, I've spoken to some other people around the country about this. There was, there was like a visceral reaction that some of us had to what was happening. Like it felt like, when they closed schools, when I felt like somebody punched me in the stomach, um, like we immediately knew that like, this is very, very bad. Um, I, you know, so we spent the last part of our terms fighting against government overreach. And then um, our terms ended in at the end of November of, tw of 2019. Um, I, I'm sorry, of 2020, excuse me. And then uh, Tina came to me in uh, December. And she was like, we need to do something. We need to, we, there are all these groups that are standing up and trying to get moving and get focused. And they're having a really hard time because they don't know what to do and who to talk to and how to say what they need to say. And, and maybe we could help them. And I said, okay, let's see what we can do. And we decided we would just start in Florida. And then within two weeks, we had a request. We launched January, 2021. In two weeks, we had a request from Nassau County, New York, which is where my family's from. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't a family member, but I wasn't surprised that they were feisty up there and wanted to get involved. And um, they, uh, a woman named Barbara Abood wanted to start a chapter and Tina came to me and she said, I know we were just going to do Florida, but what do you think? And I just remember saying to her, like, it's not ours. Like, how do you keep it from her? You know, how how do we not expand now? Um, and so we did. And then 
another two weeks, we had a chapter in Maryland, and now we have um, close to 300 chapters and in, in 45 states, and hopefully it'll soon it'll be 48. So let's talk about the organization. How does it work? Who who tells who what to do? Or is the, how's the money get distributed? All the things. What, what's sure. going on with your organization? So there's, this is lovely. This is the, uh, how we decide whether or not something is within our mission. I think a lot of organizations take on a lot of different issues. And so the question, you know, to our chapters is always, you know, is it within our mission, right? And so the first question is, is this about parental rights? And if the answer is yes, um, then you go down and it says official action can be taken on the issue for the chapter. When an issue falls within our mission, it is still important to assess the most effective method to advocate for it. Um, and then if the answer is no, um, then the question becomes, does this directly affect the education of America's children? Um, and so if the answer is no, going through both of those questions, then it, it might be an important issue, but it's not something that Moms for Liberty is going to address as a chapter. Um, of course, every individual that's a member has the ability to advocate for different things that are important to them. Sure. But you've got a narrow mission set, and then it sounds like you have things where something's going to come to your attention and it's outrageous, but it's not what you do. So you stay yeah. in that lane. Sometimes, I mean, public libraries, for example, you know, you can have a problem with your public library, um, but it's not a public school library. And so we tell our moms, if you want to engage in public library issues, that's not what Moms for Liberty does. Um, parents have the right to go into the public library and they are with their child when their child is looking at books. If your community wants to pay for genderqueer and wants it in a public library, Okay, well, then have the conversation with your community about that, right? But it's not a public school library. When you're talking about public school libraries, parents aren't there with their children. You mm. can't, you, you cannot help them to sort through and look at the books um, that are there. You're trusting the public school system to safeguard your child from pornographic content or sexual content. You, and, and you should be able to trust that they're going to do that. Um, so that would be an area where someone might want to try to get involved. You know, there are other areas that our moms are passionate about. Um, and, you know, they get involved in their own personal space. But, you know, like abortion, for example, that's not something we engage on, although I know our membership have, you know, feelings about that and, and, and work within their own private spaces to do work in that area if it's important to them. But we're talking about parental rights and those would be children that are born and, and that you're raising. So, um, you know, we try to stay on mission. We're set up by uh, county. Um, and we recognize that across the United States, that looks different in different places. In Florida, one school district is one county and vice versa. Um, so there are 67 school districts in 67 counties in Florida. That makes it for a very easy organization, um, much messier across the United States of America. And sometimes sure. you will have hundreds of school districts in one county, or you will have a district that straddles counties. So we've had to adapt, but still um, set up by county. There are a little over 3,000 counties in the United States of America. Um, when you have a county that has a number of different districts within the county, you have a chapter chair who is the head of their chapter. Um, in that county, you have a vice chair, a secretary, and a treasurer. And um, you um, have a dues-paying membership uh, that has voting rights in order to be able to vote on leadership. And then you will have associate members within your community. Um, uh, uh, when you look at a, a school district or, excuse me, a county that has a number of districts, what you'll find um, is that uh, in certain areas, you'll have a chapter who has district lead uh, for each district. So, so, you know, if you have, again, you know, a number of different school districts in your county, um, you'll have, you, you kind of decentralize that leadership and you have someone paying attention to each district. 
That makes sense. Do members have to be moms? No, members do not have to be moms. In fact, we have a couple chapter chairs who are dads. We have a couple chapter chairs that are vice uh, dads that are vice chairs or men. Um, we have chairs that are not even moms that are aunts uh, or that uh, don't have children actually. So um, no, you don't have to be a parent. You don't have to be a female. You just have to be a community member that's concerned about the future of America. Um, and it only takes you a second to look at the data coming out of the districts to know that you should be very, very concerned about America. Do you have, do you have to be a Republican? No, we're a nonpartisan organization. That's a very interesting question. Um, but I think you'd be hard pressed to find anyone who is going to vote for Joe Biden. Um, so that makes it kind of more difficult, right? Um, you know, that, that to me, I think you have a lot of Democrats and I know, within our organization that we've had a lot of Democrats and independents who um, were shocked at the way that they were represented during COVID and have really had to try to re, oh, Republicans too, by the way, um, and have really had to reassess who their elected leaders are. It's, it's much more about issues and principle and much less about the uh, letter next to your name. Okay. Um, do you have gay members? Yes. We have gay chapter chairs and we have members who have gay children. That's why it's incredibly offensive when people say that we're an anti-LGBTQ organization because they're literally insulting people who would be considered a member of that community. Okay, fair enough. Just curiosities that I have. You could be a lesbian mom or a lesbian not mom and still be part of Moms for Liberty if you chose. Yeah, our national outreach director is a lesbian mom, so... Sounds very right-wing extremist. Sounds like an SPLC uh, just problem waiting to happen, huh? She's very funny. She spoke at our summit and uh, her name's Tia. She's great. And she was like, she she got to introduce uh, Governor DeSantis and she was like, I'm just going to be honest. I didn't vote for him for the first time. <laughs> so funny. She's like, but I love him now. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, you know, we've got moms who voted for Clinton. We've got moms who did vote for Biden, who I think were just incredibly disappointed by the way that parents and children have been represented over the past few years in America. Those ones that voted uh, for Democrats in any level of elections, what is the biggest complaint that drives them to you, do you think? Like, what, what are the, the ideas that they're honing on where they think they were failed? Um, I think representation, really having their voices heard. I think that's really just in general where American parents are right now. I think that I when we knew that things were going wrong, many of us were never involved politically. But when we knew that things were going wrong and we went to our government officials, right, we went to the school board or the county commission or the state house and we said, wait a second, something's up here. This is really bad. Our kids are really getting hurt. We were shut down. Our mics were cut off. We were called domestic terrorists by the Department of Justice. Um, that was the shocking point, I think. I think there was a, an assumption that we had a voice or that if there were concerns, that our concerns would be considered in the decision-making process. And when we tried to exercise those rights, we realized that we really didn't have them anymore. I think that has been the real wake-up moment for American parents that has made them say, okay, I know we're really busy, and we're working and we're trying to save for retirement or for our kids' college or to, you know, just be able to make ends meet right now. But we're going to have to get involved in politics and in government because 
it doesn't work well without us. I look at two moms groups right now, and I know that you have nothing to do with each other, but I think that the names say something. There's a group that is uh, against guns, that wants guns basically banned. They're called Moms Demand Action. Mm -hmm. And your name is Moms for Liberty. What do you see in the name? What, I, a demand actually kind of implies that there may be um, a right to something. What does Moms for Liberty mean in, in, to you? Why did you guys choose that name? As opposed to moms against, you know, school board groomings or something else. I don't know. Sure. Moms for liberty is the freedom to do what you ought to do. And so as a mother, you ought to protect your children. Your job is to protect your children. So um, we are moms for liberty, having that freedom to be able to raise our children. Um, and, and we want to see a culture of liberty across America where people are respectful of each other um, and kind. Um, you know, all of the words that have been weaponized now, right? Kindness, inclusivity, all of those things. But but the values that we as Americans have collectively shared in general, right? That That's what we stand for. We stand for family and for the connection of love and family, whatever that family may look like. Um, moms demand action. You know, I, I was a school board member um, during Marjorie Stillman, Marjorie Stillman Douglas, the, the shooting that happened in Florida. Um, you know, there are oftentimes solutions that are offered by um, that organization that are, are solutions that are, go against the founding documents of our country and our rights as citizens. And so we want to be effective advocates. Uh, school safety is a huge issue. And I think it's an issue that a lot of parents are very concerned about. Uh, but the truth is uh, that what, what we know to be true, what I know to be true, is that criminals don't follow laws. Um, so you can have as many gun laws as you want, but if someone wants to get a hold of a gun and, and do something bad, they're going to find a way to do that. Um, and so, you know, I think in general, moms being involved and getting involved in their children's education and in, in America is very, very important. And I think... Um, the that outweighs apathy, I guess, is is the way that I would I would put that. I think that there are a lot of opportunities for moms uh, to come together right now on issues um, where we we could find agreement. And then, um, you know, there may be some issues that we can't find direct agreement, but maybe we could start talking about some solutions um, and some compromises that we can both make in order to ensure that our children are safe in school. And I'm watching as there are some legislators that are bringing some points up about school safety. In fact, I'm, I'm working on, on a, a, a town hall right now, hopefully around the presidential debate where we'll talk about with some of these candidates, the importance of school safety. So, you know, moms, nobody's going to fight for anything like a mom is going to fight for their kids. And so I just say to all moms that are involved, whether or not I agree with everything that they're doing, um, I appreciate the fact that they prioritize their family and their children. That's fair. Are politicians willing from both sides of the aisle willing to hear what you have to say? Is that a, is that a conversation you can have on either side? I wish it was more of a conversation, to be honest with you. Um, you know, we had hoped to have Bobby Kennedy at our summit. He had agreed to come um, and then he backed out of that. And I think there's a lot of confusion as to how that happened uh, or how 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 that actually um how it, how it actually came to be for the, the reason why he decided not to come. But it was a decision that the campaign and that he made, I believe. Um but I think that there were votes for him at the summit, to be honest with you. There were people that wanted to hear what he had to say. I think that American legislators need to wake up, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, and start paying attention to what parents are concerned about. 
there are laws, federal laws, that are currently not being enforced right now. We don't need a lot of new laws. We need to look at the laws and, and the structures that we, we have currently in place and start enforcing some of those um, things. So um, I think the conversation isn't just, you know, here's what we think should be happening, but also are you protecting our rights and freedoms as you're supposed to? And I wish that there was more openness on both sides of the aisle to hear from parents I think that Republicans right now are doing a better job of that. Um, and again, that na that national polling shows me that you've got, I mean, I, you know, I'm happy to send it to you and you guys can take a look at it. We, you know, we have it up on the website actually right now. If people go to momsforliberty.org uh, backslash or actually forward slash polling, excuse me, you can go to that page and see that polling. You know, you've got numbers of people coming together that are saying schools are on the wrong track. We don't want gender ideology taught in our schools or sexual orientation discussed with our kids. And, and again, 70, 30 issues where you're bringing people together who disagree about abortion, for example, pro-choice, pro-life people that are coming together to agree about parental rights issues. So I think it's just a matter of time right now. Um, I'd love to be able to sit down with Bobby Kennedy and ask him about some of the questions that American parents have regarding parental rights and education in the future of our country. Um, and hopefully at some point we'll have that opportunity. We invited it pres President Biden, but we received no response from the White House. That's weird. I wonder why they did that. Uh, do you think anybody is scared off from talking to you guys about this recent sort of Nazi uh, situation that went on? And we'll talk some Hitler because I did a whole podcast after that happened and and just did hit work quotes because I think they're they're relevant to this world. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You know, one of the things that we're told is that if we don't discuss history and study history, that it'll repeat itself. And yet we seem to find ourselves at this time in America where there are a lot of people that don't want to talk about history. Um, if anyone, Dennis Prager spoke at the summit and he said uh, that if you are saying that that Hitler quote was used by the chapter in support of Hitler, you're not just lying, you are a liar. That is the truth. Well, we do not co-parent with the government. I said that when I was sitting on a school board, I said that to the superintendent who was trying to create a medical committee where he was gonna bring in doctors who were gonna make decisions for kids that we were all supposed to follow. And I looked at them and I said, you don't understand. like." Even when I take my own kid to the pediatrician, he can give me recommendations, but it's still my choice as to whether or not I do those things. So for you, superintendent, to tell me you're going to bring in doctors that I'm supposed to listen to for my kids' medical care, we don't co-parent with the government. And we do have government schools. It's not a slur. It, 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 I don't mean it as an insult. I just mean we have government schools that teachers are government actors. They do not have the right to free speech. And so when you look in history at Mao and Stalin and Lenin and Marx, and you look at the way that they wanted to use and did use the education system to indoctrinate or program the children to radically transform the country, that is what we have happening in America right now. Now, do we have genocide happening in America right now? No, we do not. But it didn't start with genocide. Um, you know, so in, in other places in history around the globe. So it was a warning cry uh, meant uh, and used by that chapter to wake people up and say, hey, look, you know, President Biden saying they're not your children, they're all of our children. And, and you know, that type of rhetoric, those types of statements are concerning um, and should be concerning. And, and then there were some very um, 
there were some liars on Twitter and in other places, including Gavin Newsom, the Lincoln Project, the DNC, David French, Caitlin Flanagan. I mean, I could go on and on who tried to somehow make it seem like we were people that supported Hitler or were Nazis. And it was just absolutely ridiculous craziness. I mean, just crazy. And so, you know, the chapter immediately was like, wait, you know, we didn't, we didn't mean to offend anyone. Of course, this wasn't meant in that context. And they tried to you know, take steps to, to, they're just nice moms. They just, you know, <laughs> put out a local little newsletter. They didn't think of any, you know, and then you have it escalate to a national stage at which point, you know, I say, I'm not throwing moms under the bus. They didn't do anything wrong. They don't support Hitler. None of us support Hitler. We have Jewish members. And, you know, you asked about the LGBTQ stuff. We have Jewish members, uh, you know, we have Jewish funders how incredibly abusive and insulting for them to be assaulted and be called Nazis. And Kyle, I've never seen so many swastikas in my life as I have seen on Twitter. Like Elon Musk said he has that, I'm going to curse now so you can do what you need to do with it. He said he has that dick pic bot that, that stops. Did you see that him say that? No, but it sounds right. Uh, yeah, so somebody, so Libs of TikTok got censored. Her her account on Twitter got censored. And um, she wanted to know why. And he came back and said she had posted footage from a pride parade where there were naked men riding around on bicycles and their penises were out and children were seeing them at the pride parades. And that's why Libs of TikTok's account was censored because she had shown that video. So Elon's response back to her was, we have a dick pic bot and that's why I was like, oh my gosh. It's perfect. Perfect. So I said, first of all, can we get those in real life? Because we could use some of those for the parades. Yeah, opt-in only, but sure. <laughs> right. And then the question becomes like, I keep reporting all this stuff on Twitter of like our mom's faces and they put swastikas on their shirts or they change our logo and put swastikas like the, the people who don't think anyone should be talking about Hitler are like spreading Nazi propaganda everywhere. And yeah, what does that feel like being on the reception end of it? Well, it's a lie. So I watched Tucker Carlson do an interview and he said um, that he was so funny. He said every few years, every year he gains some weight because he likes donuts or something. And then he sees his friends and his friends are always like, oh man, you put on a few pounds. And he was like, and that hurts my feelings because it's true. I put on some weight. He said, but when people call me racist or Nazi or transphobe or bigot, he's like, that doesn't really hurt my feelings because I know it's not true. So what does it feel like? Well, I mean, I'm not going to lie. When Gavin Newsom sent out an email to all of California where they heavily edited me giving a speech and tried to make it seem like I supported Hitler, like, yeah, it wasn't fun. I mean, Gavin Newsom, if you're watching, it's incredibly disingenuous, lying, nasty thing to do. And I will never let you become president of the United States if I have anything to do about it. But I know it's not true, right? Our moms know it's not true. So you James do get that Lindsay, sympathetic reaction, though, where your heart rate goes up and your eyes narrow and feel like someone's fighting you. It's crazy. But James Lindsay said, if, if there's anything anyone watches from our summit, watch Go to YouTube, go to our YouTube channel, watch James Lindsay. 
conceptual James talk about surviving a struggle session. And a struggle session is meant to do two things. It's meant to apply outside pressure to your organization, like they tried to do, right? With all the emails and the things. And then it also, they want to, they also want internal pressure. They want to divide you internally. And we were given this incredible gift that we were able to have our summit right after all this external pressure was coming. So internally, we were very much able to look at each other and support each other and say, yeah, it was beautiful. So um, how do you survive a struggle session? You just don't quit. Uh, and uh, we're not quitters. So we will survive the struggle session. What was the internal dialogue like when, the, when those pieces started running, when people started speaking, when you get emails going up and down California? What, were the, what was the membership saying in other chapters? Obviously not the one that happened. Just how did they receive that? Yeah, um, they immediately knew, of course, it wasn't true. Um, you know, they they would, I think they would know if they were part of a Nazi organization. There's not one shred of evidence that anyone has been able to show like that, you know, there's ever been any type of Hitler support happening in the past two and a half years. So it was pretty obvious to everyone, like, this is a joke. It's a lie, right? They supported the chapter immediately. Um, and there was just a huge outpouring of support for that chapter uh, amongst our moms, they, uh, support and learn from each other every day. So that was really heartwarming. Um, you know, how do you deal with that from a national level? You have people that tell you don't apologize. That's giving in. And then you're, you have people telling you, you know, you should apologize because it's never okay to use a Hitler quote. I think Rabbi Menken at the summit said, you know, only Jewish people are allowed to quote Hitler. And, and he said that black people, he was speaking to Mark Robinson. He said, you know, are allowed to say the N word. And he was trying to make a joke, but Mark Robinson was laughing at that. He was the next speaker that was coming up. And, you know, so there was kind of just this, you know, dialogue about how do you handle this? I, I think the most disappointing thing was just how disingenuous some of the people were when they engaged with it. But mm -hmm. the other thing, Kyle, was, you know, Jen Psaki, who is not a real journalist, she's just a mouthpiece, um, but, you know, she did a piece about Moms for Liberty, but you didn't see NBC pick it up or ABC or CBS um, or any of the networks. Nobody picked it up like it was actual like it was real news or something that to be covered. Um, so, you know, I mean, I don't know who, how could you ever prepare to handle anything like that? I don't know. I well, you're ready now, you know, it's coming. <laughs> was there anybody on, uh, on that would otherwise agree with you that surprised you with their reaction to that kind of controversy that you'd assume would be sort of favorable to your positions, but didn't, didn't align with you? Um, no, I've never met David French, but everybody tells me that he's not a very good person or nice guy. So, um, <laughs> he seems to have slipped in that, the last couple years. They don't use that word. They use a different word, but I won't say that right now. I can imagine. Um, uh, no, not really. I mean, I, I, I was just overwhelmed by the outpouring of support, um, from the people that have done work with our organization. You know, we're, we're pretty large, right? We have a hundred and I say, you know, 120,000 active members. These, this isn't an email list that I'm talking about. These are like real people who are actively involved and engaged in their communities. So, you know, we've given a lot of access to organizations and different groups to our chapters over the past two and a half years and media for that matter. Um, so I just was thankful that when the time came that they needed to stand up and say who we really were, they were able to do that honestly, right? You know, it wasn't us saying, can you please come and help to support us? It was them saying, wait a second, this is not, you know, this is not who these people are and this is disingenuous. So, um, 
no, you know, I just, we were thankful, really. It was a blessing. Can we, uh, can we talk about the FBI and the DOJ for a minute? Sure. So in October of 21, there was a back and forth about uh, the National Association of School Boards went and made some advocacy to the White House. The White House sounds like they made some advocacy to the DOJ. And the attorney general came out and said some things about parents protesting at school boards. And then the FBI took some action on it. How did that affect your group? And what do you think you guys were as far as uh, maybe a root cause or, or a, uh, a secondary target of that sort of operational work? I, I think when, when you have a situation where you have parents that are upset about something in a school district, um, shutting down conversation and shutting down citizen input is not going to lead to any type of resolution. Shutting people down and and not and silencing them is only going to make them more upset and more concerned. And that's exactly what the reaction was of uh, school board officials and other government officials around the country during COVID. So... Um, our moms were coming out and speaking at school board meetings, and they were upset. Um, they were upset that their kids were being quarantined, healthy quarantines left and right. I mean, I would watch them in my own kid's school district. You know, 50 kids at a high school would be quarantined because some Department of Health employee walked around with a ruler, a six-foot ruler, and decided who was deemed close contact. You're talking about healthy kids being quarantined two weeks at a time especially if you're in high school, if you're a parent, you're a kid in high school, you're training for different athletics and stuff, you get quarantined two weeks, you know, you miss the most important track meet or swim meet of your life. Um, so it was devastating for these kids, right? Um, parents were upset. They were coming in speaking at school board meetings. There were many parents whose masks were really harming kids. Um, I would argue that masks harmed every child, um, but uh, masks harmed more some kids more ki more than others, I think. Mm -hmm. And I even saw that in my own home. Um, so yeah, our moms were out speaking at school board meetings all over the country. We were encouraging them to do that. The National School Board Association, uh, the the school board members didn't know what to do. They were in a state of panic because they were having people coming and trying to force them to hold their authority. And all they wanted to do, and I speak from personal experience because I watched my own school board members do it, they just wanted to abdicate their authority to somebody else, some expert, somebody that knew more than them, whether that was the CDC or whether that was the Department of Health. They just wanted to be able to say like, you know, oh, well, the recommendation is that we do this and we're going to go with that recommendation. But that's not the way that being an elected official works. You have authority. You have to hold your authority and you are responsible for making decisions. That's what Governor DeSantis did when he started making decisions in Florida once, you know, we started moving forward, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the school board associations, no doubt, went to the National School Board Association and said, uh-oh, we've got a real problem here. The parents are coming to the meetings and, you know, they're, they want to talk and they get three minutes and our meetings are, you know, running eight, nine, ten hours. That was happening in my own school district. Ten there. hours. Oh, yeah. I've sat for citizen <laughs> input for hours, for ten hours at a time. Do these jobs pay very much, by the way, being a school board member? Um, they, sometimes they pay, sometimes they don't pay at all in Florida. They get a salary, um, that I'm, I think that they should have to pass a certification exam to be able to actually collect the salary. So I'm working on that. But, um, in other places, no, you don't make any money at all for doing it. Just sitting there um, getting yelled at for free. <laughs> yeah. But it's so important, right? Like it's sure, such a, sure. It's no, so I mean, you volunteered for it. So, yeah. So, um, 
you know, I think the NSBA, they recognize, here's the thing, Kyle, I'll just break it down and, and really cut to the chase. Our education system is failing. I mean, it's just failing. You can look at the NAEP scores from 2022. They're awful. You can look at them from 2019. They weren't, they were still really bad. And if you look at the increase of spending in education in America, um, I have a chart, I should have sent it to you so you could have put it up. But if you look at the rise in education, you're talking about now spending $850 billion in public education versus 2004 when we were spending, gosh, I want to look it up now so I get the exact number. But sure, a huge, a huge increase I'm going to look it up because I know we're, hold on one second. Yeah, that's fine. There is, there. I mean, it goes to a question that I've always had, which is that we seem to have more and more administration. We have more and more costs. We're spending more and more on education. We're seeing diminishing results. I don't understand why that continues to happen. I have an instinct, but I'm not involved in it. And so, yeah. you know, the answer for my house is like, why would we do that? My wife is educated and so am I. My kids can learn pretty much everything from us up until they get into calculus classes, which I, I took five of those when I was in college. So they're going to always be, you know, less education than my wife and I, who has, she has a master's and I've got a bachelor's degree and a million things. I studied everything. So wh why am I sending it out if we can afford to keep them in? And then the question is, well, what does it even cost for a mom to go out and work outside of the house? If you have young kids, it costs somebody else raising your kids and putting their values on. I don't have time for that. So, you know, the amount of money we're spending seems crazy. You said 800, uh, 800 million or 800 billion? No, no so for, in 2004, we spent $470 billion in education in America. Nationwide, okay. Nation, and now we spend $840 billion in 2023. And the math scores on the NAEP have gone from 279 down to 271. We have only, so just so that we're clear, we have 83% of black students not reading proficiently, 79% of Hispanic students and 58% of white students not reading proficiently. And when you look at black students' fourth grade reading scores, and this is why when this is why I don't buy any of the equity, any of the discussions, I just don't buy it for a second because the unions have controlled the schools for years and years and years. And if, if the system is racist, it's because of them. Um, to be to be honest with you, you have 56% of, of black students below basic. Um, so that's not even a basic reading level. It's criminal. Um, so parents are sending their kids to school thinking that their kids are learning to read and they're not. They're, they're being turned into little social justice warriors. Um, so the education system is failing. And parents start asking questions. Schools are closed. Now all of a sudden school is on their kitchen table. And they're watching their child who cannot hold a pencil, cannot write, right? Cannot write because now they're on the computer at school all day long. Parents didn't realize that. They didn't realize how much time your kid is actually spending on a computer. They're doing math on a computer. They're doing all of their English language arts on a computer. Um, and then the parents saw the divisive materials too, right? They started to see the anti-American content, the, the divisive ideology when it came to race and um, anti-religious uh, things that they were seeing in some of the curriculum. Um, and we're talking about like English language arts, by the way. Um, this is when we go back to Ferrari and talk about generative themes being introduced. So, you know, you think it's an English language arts um, you know, uh, class, but now all of a sudden they're talking about, you know, um, you know, you have second graders doing a civil rights module for nine weeks where one of the vocabulary words is injustice. They're six, 
you know, do they understand that? Right. Um, there's a math framework. No. In, no, no, there's a math framework in California that Max Eden from um, AEI, he's a fellow, he writes for Newsweek as well. He just did a piece. If you look this up again, Max Eden, he deconstructs the California math framework and shows how the children aren't really being given practicable skills in math anymore. There, it, it, It's all an opportunity to introduce generative themes to the students about a lot of different things like reparations in California, for example. So um, it's just a, it's a very interesting place where we find ourselves. All of a sudden the school board members are like, holy crap, all the parents are freaking out because they know the kids aren't learning and it's overwhelming and they're coming to us and they're very upset. What are we going to do? And the union's answer, because I don't think it was just the NSBA. I think the unions were involved. The unions being the teachers unions? Mm-hmm. NEA, AFT, Randy Weingarten, Becky Pringle, like they're like, uh oh, we need to shut this down. Parents are finding their voice, and this is not going to be good for us. We need to put them back in their place. How are we going to do that? Well, let's get the school board association to contact whoever. Let's get them to, you know, say these parents are being unruly. Um, so then you've got, this is how you get a mom who, you know, yes, was at her school board meeting and, and is upset and is saying, you know, my son has been quarantined for 40 days. We are coming for your seats. We are going to get you out of office and telling school board members that. And then the next day is making peanut butter and jelly and the FBI calls her. Mm-hmm. Like, and what did they say? What was that interview like? Um, do you have any guns in your home? In uh, your business. Now what? Do you have a history of mental health illness? Sounds like you need a subpoena for that. Keep going. What else we got? Um, A conversation about why the mom had gone to the school board meeting. I want to be really fair and say the FBI agent was lovely um, and told the mom, like, listen, you know, this was given to us to call and investigate, but we don't see anything here to be concerned Would it surprise you to know that that agent also has discretion, though, like you'd expect? Does that agent have discretion? Of course. Everybody Correct. has discretion. They have agency, do they not? So that, they that's, told, that, that's what troubles me. Well, she, this mom was told that she was not the only person that this agent had been told needed to be followed up on. So there was a stack of other people that were supposed to be followed up on. I mean, and, and from being a school board member, this is like a local law enforcement issue. If you had Tops. a mom or dad, right, that came to a school board meeting and was upset and said, you know, Tiffany Justice, I hate you and I'm going to come after you. That would be like the sheriff who would go and were have these, a conversation, right? Were these meetings being done over the Internet? Is that the reason why that the FBI was involved? No, this, this these were in-person meetings. So, you know, there's a differentiation between what we would call in-person threats or localized threats, which is, like you said, local law enforcement mm-hmm. and what we call interstate threats, which means even if you're in the same state, you touch wire, which is going to be phone, email, text, whatever, video chat. Those things are considered interstate because they use the means of interstate, even if they're not from a different state. And that's uh, that's 18 USCA, I think 875, the interstate threat clause. So that's the only FBI nexus to it. But I used to get these too. I would just make a phone call to that person if they said, you know, I don't like the mayor and I'm coming for him. I would call the person up because I don't want to drive out there. That's a waste of my time. Hey, man, are you physically coming for the mayor? <laughs> And he'd be like, what are you talking about? I said, you said something. It got reported to me. I'm from the FBI. I'm calling you to ask you a quick question. You know, you posted something on social media. I watched it. Tell me what you meant. And the guy would go, uh, no, I'm mad. I'm going to run in the next election. Very nice. Have a lovely life. Like, goodbye. Closed. 
So the, the agent does have the discretion on how they handle this sort of thing. But they knocked on on this mom's door, it sounds like. Well, they called. They called First. on the phone. They called okay. on the phone to speak to the mom. And um, but at the end of the conversation did say, you know, we don't see any issue here. Like, we just okay. want to be clear. So it with was you. at least a phone call then. That's yeah, it was a phone call. But but then the mom was also told to not discuss the fact that she had been called, that she should not share that. Um, so the mom called me and, you know, I, I, um, you know, can the FBI tell you that? Can the FBI say, don't tell anyone that we called you? You've read the first amendment. What do you think? <laughs> right. But, but when you're a mom making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, right. Yes. In, in the middle of America and, and the FBI calls you, that's scary, For you sure. know, and, and, and it, it, it absolutely, I've said from the beginning, it, it was meant to chill speech. It did chill speech. Um, we had to work hard to, um, make sure that people understood Jeff Childers coffee and COVID came to the, um, uh, per, came to the summit we had in Tampa. And he very clearly said to the moms, you don't need to talk to the FBI. If the FBI calls you, you just tell them, do you have a subpoena? I want, I need to get a lawyer. You, he, he said, you do not talk to the FBI. Like who would have ever thought that moms would have to do that? That's crazy. I mean, so some of the, yeah. Some of the stuff you talked about earlier, people might call it very radical. You were uh, making references to Mao. You were making references to, um, to Nazi Germany. And so people could say that's a very radical extreme to jump to from what we're seeing. And then you're dealing with the statement talking about moms having the FBI call them up and ask them right. about things they said in person for theoretically a local school board meeting. Where's that jump come in for you? Cause it, fairly, it looks fairly clear to me. I don't think it's a, uh, I don't think it's illogical, but is that the mindset that you're going with? We we just see there's a very clear effort uh, by the federal government to to weaponize all of the different agencies against the American people who are concerned about the federal government. I mean, we are watching it happen in our lives every day. And then you also just made excuses for the person that called, though. Because I happen to think that the majority of FBI agents thought it was total baloney, nonsense. Like even this mom was saying, the FBI agent said to her, like, no, I totally understand why you would be upset that your child was quarantined for 40 straight days out of school. Like, the, you know, I think the FBI agents seemed to know that this was so outside of the bounds of what they would normally be doing. Does it bother you that they still made the phone call then? I don't, you know, to be honest with you, Kyle, I didn't, I don't, I don't know that they had the discretion as to whether or not they personally were going to make that call. I don't know. I lost a job over it. I feel like they did. <laughs> it's one of those, it's, it's, I, I think we all have this instinct to be so, to so be so uh, accommodating of people for their individual circumstances. And the only time that I don't think that's fair is when you are a agent of the top end of that government structure, there's a layer cake and the federal government is the biggest hammer and you guys have seen it. And as you said, it doesn't feel good. And it scared them, I'm sure. It scared this woman. It was scary. And the other thing was that I watched even school. I mean, I, I don't know how many school board meetings I've watched now where you would see school board members directing the law enforcement. Like, mm -hmm. that blew my mind. You know, the law enforcement's there to keep everyone safe, but they would use it as almost like their personal security. Where, yeah, like get this person out of here. Right. Like we had a mom in Sarasota who said one of the school board members' names. And the school board chair cut the mic and the mom wouldn't stop talking. She kept talking at the microphone. And then you saw the school board chair telling the sheriff's uh, deputies to remove the mother. And there was one guy who stepped forward. I still have the video who started to walk forward. And the other law enforcement agent put his arm uh, out and just stopped him. Like, that's not our job, man. Like, 
you know, but that is the danger when you follow orders. They call it the uh, superior orders defense. A lot of people know it as the Nuremberg defense. And that's really what I'm getting at here. This has all happened before, historically. People made a lot of excuses, I'm sure, for guys who started working for the Nazis because they just, you know, they're just doing their job. They're just going to get names of people that live in that house. They're just finding out who the people were that were at the meeting last night. They're just making everybody wear a badge because they're part of the Moms for Liberty. You got to put that on your got to put that on your door now so we know who you are because you know we have to watch you we don't want to but we have to where does that end i think we've seen it in a couple different societies yeah and and i think that's the reason why when you see uh, see our moms calling it out right there's a real effort to suppress that honest uh that honesty and there's a real it scares the hell out of me I, like i'm 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 not a mom for liberty i'm not a mom at all actually um but uh i am for liberty in general and any like even people who saying things that we don't agree with. I, in fact, I'd love to have somebody who would debate you about this and I'll have them on the show too. And they can come and tell me all the counterpoints and I'll let them have a fair shot because I'll listen to anybody. I really will. Um, you know, until you start threatening violence or you start getting law enforcement involved. And that's what, the, that's what the government is. It's the threat of violence. I think that's what everybody instinctively knows. They don't maybe articulate it that way. I think that there are things I, I keep saying, I think, which I, I don't want to say because we, I know them to be true. We know them to be true. The, there sure. is a, an enormous amount of, of global influence happening right now um, for people that are paying attention. Joe Biden, the United States of America, just rejoined UNESCO as a paying member. Um, that's a bad thing. Tell, uh, tell people what that means. So, uh, you know, well, it's complicated, but UNESCO, the United Nations, UNESCO has something called the Sustainable Development Goals, 2030 Sustainable Development Goals. You can go and look at them. There are 17 of them. Uh, you will be really, really blown away at uh, how the global influence of the United Nations and the things that they want to see happen across the globe are actually happening right now in America. Um, we, we, UNESCO uh, and, and is a um, part of the United Nations nations that focuses on education and science and communication. And so they, uh, we haven't been a paying member for some time. In fact, I think Obama actually stopped. We stopped being a paying member and then President Trump uh, pulled us out completely, uh, I believe in 2018. Now Joe, uh, President Biden um, has re-engaged with UNESCO. We actually pay, uh, I think, the, the vast majority of uh, the budget for UNESCO. Go figure. Um, we probably had back uh, payments of over $500 million given to UNESCO to, to rejoin right now. Um, oh, good. Oh, yeah. That's exactly where our money should be going, right? Mm -hmm. And um, what you're going to look and see is that a lot of the things that are happening in American schools where you're like, why is this happening? Why this gender identity conversation that like wasn't happening at all, right? Why is this happening? Well, you can look at the sustainable development goals and gender identity and gender inclusivity is one of the goals. Um, and then you can look at the National Education Association that has curriculum that they have specifically written in line with the 2030 sustainable development goals. That's all online for anyone to go and look up and see. And so, so um, I, I think that there, there's a lot of concern about what's happening in America right now and how much control we actually have on the things that are happening um, that, that, you know, really you would normally need Congress to act and, and to be a part of and to be making decisions about. But there, they, it seems like our elected officials have either abdicated their authority or, you know, are not. I mean, I guess whether willfully or not have abdicated their authority to a certain yeah. degree. Sure.
I think it's all there. There's so much more here. Um, and also, I know you have a co-founder and you have some other folks in your organization. So what if, what if we do this? What if we, uh, we may have to break this into more pieces. I think there's so much more to it. I think people will be fascinated to hear this. And I think that we're, we're buttoned up on a time limit for Ryan here, our producer. So um, I'm going to shut it at that point with probably infinite more information. You guys have been doing this for years now, and there's obviously so many chapters. If you if you get a panel of folks that want to come in and, and contribute, and if you have anybody that's a naysayer that would like to, to join us, I would have very much fun uh, moderating a discussion of people that can argue the other side. I'll, I'll try to dig one up too, because I think that might be fun in a respectful way. Um, I'm here for it. I'd like to debate Randy Weingarten. I, I've asked her several times ooh, now. That'd be fun. Yeah, I've said nasty things about her, so I may not be as easy to get her on, but I, I would do it if she would want to come on. Uh, I appreciate that you're a fighter. I appreciate that you've gotten involved in this thing. I think so many of us have gotten into a place where nobody expected to be. I'm sure you didn't set out in your life to go and be doing interviews all day long. You just want to raise your kiddos. And uh, who who better than moms, though, than to fight for the, what their kids are going to see in the in the world we're going to have? Yeah, that's the, really the message, Kyle. It's, it's, it's really, if not you, if not me, then who? Um, Thomas Paine said, if there must be trouble, let it come in my day so that my children may live in peace. And I think that's where parents are right now in America. Um, there is a lot of trouble and uh, we are uniquely positioned to head it off and to fight back. And so we will try to do that. And then we'll also raise a generation of patriots who are going to also have to fight because uh, when this is not going to be turned around in just a few years, it is going to nope. take um, a lot of vigilance from all of us in order to get America going back on the right track again. Fair enough. All right. Plug some socials, plug some places where people can find your stuff, all these uh, charts and graphs and all your uh, advocacy stuff. Go to momsforliberty.org, big map there. You can click on the map. See if we have a chapter in your state, in your county. If we don't click to start one, maybe it's not you. Maybe it's your aunt or your uncle or your sister or your brother. Who knows? Uh, maybe you get to be the vice chair or the treasurer or something like that. Um, but click to start a chapter. That's really the best way that you can get involved right now. You can follow us on Instagram on um, uh, Twitter. It's moms, the number four Liberty. You can follow me at four Tiffany justice, uh, Tina Deskovich at Tina Deskovich. Um, just, you know, check out the website and uh, feel free to, to send us an email, ask questions. We are here to help. I appreciate you being available to us for this long little sit down. And like I said, we'll do it again. If you want to do a Twitter space, I'd be more than happy to host one of those two. That's been kind of our fun follow-ups where people can bring their questions uh, Tiffany, thanks so much for being part of the show today. Thank you, Kyle. I appreciate it. It was fun. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was our wrap up. That was the interview for today. I do really want to say thanks for sitting through it. And, and I hope you enjoyed it. I actually really enjoyed talking to Tiffany. She is a lovely guest. Uh, right now, I'll just let you know, you've been listening to the Kyle Serafin show. It is streamed live from Liberty Hill, Texas every morning now at 930 Eastern time or at 8.30 in Texas, America. We got to thank a couple people. First one is you. Thanks for sitting through and listening to our show. Thanks for joining us in the morning on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. I know a couple of people had some glitches today. It sounds like that is a rumble thing. That's not coming from us, but they are trying to grow the platform. So be patient with them as they look to supplant YouTube. We're really grateful that there is a free speech platform and we are here for it. I want to say uh, uh, thank you to a couple of our new monthly supporters Critter64 joined us and uh, hit the subscribe button. And then there's an opportunity, I guess, that you could support the channel with five bucks a month. It's awesome. I didn't know about that. Uh, I got a couple of you out there. It looks like five or six have done that. And uh, also FBI Panty Raid, who has been following us for a while and is always there in the live chat, did the same thing. So thanks to both of you. And then a couple of Rumble rants, both from uh, Eric Jason and from Critter64 trying to support this show. Guys, very much appreciated. It really is not necessary, but uh, if you want to do it, we won't say no. And uh, this show does continue to grow. 
because of the five-star reviews. We're up to 625. I bet we get to 650 by the end of next week if you guys go out there. You can leave a five-star review almost after every single show. So if you had one that you liked, one touches your fancy, click on the little link there. That'll take you to the Apple Podcast. Obviously, you have to have an iPod, uh, an iPhone rather, or a uh, or a Mac, and it'll get you there. But uh, you can leave one of those reviews like this one from Jay-Z couple of Z's, couple of E's, says, On point, five stars. This is an informative podcast that exposes the truth about the FBI. We need to understand the truth about what happened at the Dolce base and respectfully honor those lost. Godspeed, sir. Dude, definitely gets after it, digging in and getting wild with these bad boys. Uh, again, from Jay-Z. I think that Jay-Z is someone that I know living up in the great state of Montana. Might be a good friend of mine who has a fascination with the Dolce Base. Folks, one day we'll talk about the Dolce Base. Uh, it's probably a Twitter space thing more than anything else. You've probably heard me talk about it, but aliens in New Mexico might make it for a fun thing. Maybe I can get Alex Jones to come to one. Anyway, thanks for the five-star reviews. We do appreciate that. And again, our show is really only possible because of the hard work and skill of the technical producer that you saw, Ryan Matta. He's the one out there taping these interviews and making it happen. You can follow Ryan on Twitter. His handle is Ryan Matta, M-A-T-T-A Media, Ryan Matta Media. And a big thanks to Tiffany Justice for being our guest today. It was really a great conversation. On my end, I really enjoyed it. I walked away feeling good about it. I hope you guys all enjoyed what you heard. Don't forget to like this video on rumble.com slash Kyle Seraph and scroll on down past the live chat underneath uh, just up above where the comments are. You can see the show notes there and click that thumbs up until it is green. And then, you know, it was recorded. Uh, we really appreciate that. And it does move us up in the rankings. It gets this thing out there to more and more people and continues to grow. So you can share your favorite show with people. Share it out there on your social medias. People, you can consider uh, subscribing. Hit that subscribe button anywhere you get podcasts. We are on YouTube. So if you're getting the emails from them, uh, we're out there. We I think we're pretty well uh, limited on our reach, but do it anywhere you like it. Uh, you can see it's even streaming live on Twitter these days. My handle's everywhere, at Kyle Serafin, Twitter, True Social, uh, on Instagram, even though I hate it. And uh, we can see you on any of those places. We will see you again on Friday. We'll see you again tomorrow for Friendly Friday. We're going to have Steve Friend on. We'll be talking about kind of the wrap-up and the catch-up. And uh, we'll get everything squared away before the weekend. Folks, we will see you tomorrow. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live weekdays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter, Truth Social, and Instagram at Kyle Serafin.